1: from the mountains to the
2: plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yama, welcome to Night TV Radio. Coming up in your program today, have a conversation with uh, Dr. Daniel Featherstone of uh, RMIT about his uh, research, Mapping the Digital Gap 2023 Outcomes Report. The first study of its kind, highlighting the nature and scale of the digital gap for First Nations people. As you'll hear, that gap widens significantly for First Nations people living in very remote communities. In today's program, we also explore this year's Food Bank Hunger Report that's just been released. According to this report, almost half of Australia's population is anxious or so worried about getting consistent access to adequate food. In the program, I also caught up with Anunga man Aaron Wyatt, the first Indigenous Australian to ever conduct a major orchestra in the country. We'll talk about three conversations, and upcoming performance later this week, exploring classical music and persons of colour in Australia. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandame I am Bertrand Tungandame. Australia Day 1972
3: saw the first Aboriginal Embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended
1: and they've walked this land so many times before anybody came.
0: I am sorry.
2: In this bulletin, an indigenous leader and yes, campaigner blasts Peter Dad on social media for misleading voters. Prime Minister Antonio Albanese to push the Ocas deal on his visit to the United States. And a new app will help Australians make their homes more bushfire resilient. Indigenous leader and prominent Yes campaigner for the Indigenous Voice to Parliament, Thomas Mayo, says opposition leader Peter Dutton has a lot to answer for. It comes after the end of a week of silence from Indigenous Yes campaigners following the defeat of the voice referendum held on October the 14th. Mr Mayo has told the Saturday Paper's 7am podcast social media played a very important role in getting the support of the government – But that support ended when the No campaign pushed a particular line.
3: The social media was important to spreading the word and getting the momentum momentum to get one side of government to have the courage and vision to put it to the Australian people. And there was very little racism or attacks in that entire time. And it lifted when a leader of this country falsely claimed that it would re-racialize australia
2: prime minister Anthony albanese will push for progress on the AUKUS deal when he meets with u.s president joe biden to discuss the indo-pacific region today the prime minister has flown to washington on sunday for a four-day official visit to the u.s for the ninth meeting between the two leaders since mr albanese's election victory in 2022 Mr Albanese has announced he will visit Beijing and Shanghai in November, the first visit by an Australian Prime Minister to China in seven years, after recent breakthroughs in negotiations between the two nations. Mr Albanese is keen to urge Mr Biden to remain focused on the Indo-Pacific region, despite tensions easing after the release of Australian journalist Xiong Lai and an agreement to suspend a WTO dispute over Chinese tariffs on Australian wine imports. Deputy Senate Opposition Leader Michaela Cash has told Channel 9s today she hopes Mr Albanese takes the opportunity to impress upon Mr Biden the importance of Australia's acquisition of nuclear-powered submarines.
1: This was one of the signature policies of the former coalition government uh, and certainly the opportunity is there uh, to ensure that President
3: Biden and the United States know just how important it is for our two countries to continue to work together to deliver.
2: Aid workers are calling for many more trucks, humanitarian aid trucks, to enter Gaza to address urgent shortages in supplies of food, water and medicine. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called for a much greater supply after it was confirmed that an additional 14 trucks have entered Gaza through the Rafah crossing with Egypt. The delivery of humanitarian aid at the crossing between Egypt and the Gaza Strip was halted on Sunday after shelling close by, with an Israeli Defence Force spokesperson later confirming an Israeli tank had accidentally fired and hit an Egyptian position. This comes amid calls for ceasefire so that substantial aid can be delivered to Gaza, where Hamas's health ministry says at least four thousand six hundred people have been killed and over fourteen thousand wounded since Israeli airstrikes began following Hamas's October attacks on Israel. Head of Mission for Doctors Without Borders, Leo Kahn, says that medical supplies, including painkillers, are in short supply, with around 70% of the primary healthcare care clinics in the area closed. It's a drop in the ocean, and the only positive thing to this is just that the
4: border have opened for a very short time. But apart from that, the supply that came in is, uh, is, uh, is almost nothing. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but it's,
2: it's nothing compared to the needs. Finance Minister, Minister Katy Gallagher says while it is important to support new families in Australia, the government needs to be mindful of not creating imbalances in the federal budget. It comes as the Women's Economic Equality Task Force prepares to hand down its final report today, which makes seven recommendations as part of a 10-year plan to reduce economic gender inequality in Australia. The report has called for the immediate establishment of universal child care and recommended an extension of the parental leave scheme to 52 weeks, as well as covering super payments for parents on leave. Ms. Gallagher has told the ABC that while the government will respond to many of the recommendations, it does not yet have enough room in the budget to include super in paid parental leave payments
1: women are retiring with a lot less income as well and so how we can make sure we're maximizing women's incomes through their lifespan and their career span um, the more we can ensure women you know retire with dignity and super is part of that it's not the only thing but it's definitely part of it and you know this is certainly on the government's table at the moment.
2: Petrol prices have jumped by more than 7% in the three months to September, increasing pressure on Australian households grappling with a cost-of-living crisis. The Federal Treasury expects the increase to add a quarter of a percentage point to inflation for the September quarter in the latest Consumer Price Index figures to be released later this week. The conflicts between Israel and Hamas in the Middle East is also expected to further raise global oil prices, but will not be captured in the September inflation data. The figures from the Australian Bureau of Statistics will be scrutinised ahead of the Reserve Bank's interest rate meeting on Wednesday. A new report has found the cost of food is the chief contributor to food to food insecurity in Australia, with almost half the population feeling anxious about going hungry. This year's Food Bank Hunger Report reveals 48% of the general population feels anxious for or struggles to consistently access adequate food. The report says 3.7 million household households experienced food insecurity in the last 12 months, with which is a 3% increase on last year. Food Bank Australia CEO Brianna Casey says the cost of living crisis is so severe that having a job no longer provides a guarantee against going hungry.
1: We know that we are seeing people who are younger, we know we are seeing people who are employed. A job is no longer a defence or a shield against food insecurity, and it's presenting Food Bank with some really big challenges in terms of meeting the demand for food relief but also having to change the way that we can reach communities, even that we are now dealing with so many young professionals.
2: Australia's Commonwealth Games chief will once again face an inquiry into Victoria's scrapping of the 2026 event. Commonwealth Games Australia chief executive Greg Phillips is to appear for a third time today at the Victorian parliamentary inquiry amid his hunt for a replacement host. Victoria cancelled the games due to be held across regional areas in July, citing its original estimated cost blowing out from $2.6 billion to up to $7 billion. The state government has since agreed to pay organisers $380 million in compensation with Mr Phillips, suggesting a scaled-down games and delay to the next edition until 2027 to give any potential host more time to prepare. A new app has been released which allows Australians to understand the bushfire risk risk posed to their properties, make positive changes and be better prepared for bushfire season. The Bushfire Resilience app is the world's first tool to assess the bushfire risk to an individual building and has been developed with funding from the federal government in response to the Black Sunday bushfires in 2019. The app, which was created by the not-for-profit Resilient Building Council, combines user-provided information about a house and data gathered about the local environment and current climate to make recommendations about bushfire resilient changes. CEO and founder of the Resilient Building Council, Kate Cotter, says low-cost measures can make a considerable difference, with this summer expected to see some of the worst fires since 2019.
1: The app is really easy to use, it takes about 20 minutes to complete. Um, Households get a, a report that tells them specifically for their individual home and their individual risks what their rating is, what it could be and what actions that they could take that are specific to their home to improve its resilience.
2: And to sport in soccer, Matilda Samka, Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford have all enjoyed wins in the latest round of the England's Women's Super League. Mackenzie-Arnold's West Ham have also earned a last gasp point against Liverpool as Carr provided two assists as her Chelsea side came from behind to beat Brighton four goals to two. Chelsea have moved joint point, joint top with Manchester City on the league table while Ketley and Ford side Arsenal have beaten Bristol City 2-1 to go seventh. West Ham equalised with Liverpool in the 95th minute to go 1-1 after the Reds went ahead in the fifty thick. 56th minute, and now sit behind Arsenal at 8th. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, partly cloudy, 31, Perth, mostly sunny, 22, at late, much the same, 25, Melbourne, sunny, 19, Hobart, light shower, and 19 degrees, Albury, Wodonga, partly cloudy, 19, Canberra, mostly sunny, 24, Wollongong, sunny, 24, Sydney, much the same, 26, Newcastle, sunny, 28, Brisbane, partly cloudy, 32, Townsville, sunny, 29, Keynes, sunny, 32, Alice Springs, much the same, 38, Darwin, a possible shower, and a top of 34, and the First Strait Islands, a partly cloudy day, and a top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News.
4: NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at one PM or any time online.
2: I am Petrona Tungandame, and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Monday afternoon. Coming up next. We look at the latest food bank report, food bank hunger report. The latest report says 3.7 million households experienced food insecurity in the last 12 months, which is a three percent increase on last year. In the program, I also caught up with Aaron Wyatt, a viola player, composer and conductor. He's also the first Indigenous Australian to ever conduct a major orchestra in Australia. In the program today, we explore people of colour's participation in classical music in Australia and more. But first, I dive into the findings of a new study on the digital divide in a new study that addresses the previous lack of data on the nature and scale of the digital gap for First Nations people. A new research has found a significant gap in digital inclusion for First Nations peoples compared with other Australians. And when it comes to remote communities, the gap widens substantially. To discuss the findings of this report, I'm joined by uh, lead investigator and RMIT Senior Research Fellow, Dr. Daniel Featherstone. Welcome to TV Radio. Thanks, Bertrand, and good to speak with you. This uh, research is it's the first in its its kind uh, mapping the digital gap uh, outcome report released uh, recently, shows a great lack of data on the nature and scale of the digital divide for First Nations people. Run us through this report.
3: This report talks about um, the types of issues that we're seeing in remote communities across Australia in terms of the lack of communications access, issues around affordability or the ability to pay for services and also the skills and, and um, um, awareness that people need to be able to use uh, online and digital technologies. What we've done is remote communities around Australia in last year in 2022, working with local partner organisations and community co-researchers to collect surveys and, and interviews, Um, to really get a good understanding of what the scale of that digital gap is, um, but also to look at how communities might want to implement their own local solutions um, to try and address the the obstacles that people face. So the report is a mix of the, the data that we've collected, some of the stories that we've heard from people in communities, and some of the potential solutions that might be able to be put in place.
2: This comes at a time when uh, government and other services are increasingly moving online. I can think of uh, airlines, you can't buy a ticket anywhere, you can't find any quarters or Jetstar office anywhere in any city, everything is on, most uh, tickets are bought online. Government services whether its car registration or even all the services are actually banks are closing uh, branches locally so banking has to be done online so digital divide is something that needs to be addressed if everyone has to be catered for uh, on an equitable basis.
3: Oh, look, absolutely. And what we're seeing in remote communities is it's getting harder for people to stay living in their communities and homelands if there isn't good communications. Um, that's to access health services, education, even getting jobs and being able to... Um, uh, access those day-to-day services that you need, whether that's, you know, Centrelink and MyGov or banking or, um, as you say, doing car registrations, paying bills. More and more of those services are moving online. But in remote communities, they simply don't have the face-to-face services in many of these sites. And so online access is absolutely critical. Um, and being able to communicate and share um with family and friends is also really important as well.
2: And one thing, uh, I've seen some of the numbers that you give, uh, browse through the report briefly, I don't have all the figures, but it says that 53.3% of First Nations people surveyed in the study said they had to sacrifice paying for essentials, such as food or bills, to stay connected, compared to 19.1% of other Australians. That's uh, more than double the national average.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And we see that across all of the different elements of digital inclusion that for for people living in remote communities, their access to services is way below what uh, other people in towns and cities have. Affordability, as you say, most people are using prepaid mobile as their primary means of phone and internet access. Um, so they're paying the top rate effectively for using data at a time when they're using data for everything, um, for you know both accessing services, keeping in touch with family and friends, and even their entertainment. So people are using streaming services and YouTube and TikTok and all of the other services to access entertainment. And that's largely because there's hardly um, any TV services working in, in some of the communities we we're visiting as well. So, they're big issues. There's a lack of facilities for people to access computers or do any printing or um, other, or, or learning how to um, use applications that are only available on computers, and very few support services for people to learn or, or get help when they need it. So, we're finding a lot of the service providers in communities are being asked to help a lot. Every day to, to you know help people in community um, to set up an email address or activate their SIM on their, their new phone or pay a bill or set up online banking and all those sorts of things that really we need more supporting communities for people to be able to do those things.
2: So there's not only a gap in accessing uh, the services but also a, a gap in uh, the equipment available to them and also. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, there will be a, a gap or so between uh, the younger and older generations. They don't have uh, the same um, uh, I would say um, literacy in terms of uh, accessing digital services.
3: Oh, that's absolutely the case. And in our report, we've really um, explored what some of those gaps are for people for you know elderly, there's a a really significant gap in terms of um, both access and digital ability. Um, We're also seeing people with disabilities have much lower digital inclusion levels. People who speak a language other than English at home often have not only English literacy challenges, but of course that also means that all of those services that are online in English are harder to use. And even what we saw was a gender gap, so um, surprisingly males have a... Um, are less digitally included than females. So we've really been able to see how this plays out not only between First Nations people and other Australians, but also within communities and between each of the different 10 communities that we visited. There are some really stark variations that we saw um, and we're able to explain some of those.
2: Looking at the figures again that you bring out, especially the ones about the Australian Digital Inclusion Index, 45.9% of remote First Nations participants are highly excluded, compared to only ninety-nine point four percent for the rest of the population. This is a huge, huge, huge gap.
3: Look, it is. And... We work as part of um, a a annual national survey that's done called the Australian Digital Inclusion Index. So there's surveys being done right across Australia each year, Um, but we needed a different way of doing this research in remote communities, doing face-to-face surveys. So we finally had this data. We've known for a long time there's been a big gap. Now we're able to see it. And that statistic you just said about 45.9% 45.9% of people are highly excluded. So that means that their, their level of digital inclusion is below a level that's considered to have what is needed nowadays in terms of being able to access services, being able to afford to use those services and having the, the, the skills or knowledge to know how to use those when they need. Um, they're really significant issues While we know people in remote communities are are very savvy, they pick up on using technologies very quickly. Um, There's still about 670 small communities and homelands that have no mobile coverage. Um, In those communities where there is mobile coverage, it's often very patchy and um, poor quality. Um, So the the speeds that they use um, can be very slow and also we have issues where people don't have necessarily home internet access they might have mobile but they don't have internet within the home they have to basically be outside to access the mobile coverage and so there's very limited ability to do you know to do homeschooling or access their banking and things within the house so those gaps really play out and mean that people aren't able to get the services they need at home when they need
2: them Yeah, yet uh, a few years back when the NBN was being rolled out nationally, we uh, promised there would be uh, Australia-wide coverage and no one would be left behind and yet uh, the gap is just uh, really (laughs) glaringly open there Uh, NBN, National Broadband National Broadband Network supposed to reach everyone yet communities are left behind
3: yeah, look, absolutely. We, we've we seen about 13% of households, of you know, the people we've surveyed in those 10 communities are using an NBN Skymaster service or satellite service. You know, that's a lot of people that don't have a home internet. They're still reliant very much on the, the mobile um, where that exists. What we you know, NBN have been doing a lot of additional work to roll out Wi-Fi hotspots into communities to provide a level of free access and that's been really useful for those communities where you know people don't have coverage or they don't have the money to pay for uh, their data at that time. They can access uh, online services but it's still in a central place within the community. You're still standing outside trying to do your banking or... Or um, talk to a service provider. What we do need is more of that home access or special special um, spaces within communities where people can use these services.
2: Yeah, and uh, these are communities are uh, some of the most disadvantaged, disadvantaged who uh, least uh, who can least afford the services are uh, provided by these uh, network. Uh, and mobile providers, which uh, leads often to what you call data rationing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And we've heard that from many of the people we spoke to, is they're having to make choices between getting their mobile data and paying for other essential things like food and bills and, um, you know, fuel for their car. They're having to make those choices or go without data until their, their next pay comes in um, each fortnight or so. Yeah. Um, So that's a common issue. 53% of people surveyed said they sacrificed paying for essentials um, in order to stay connected. So it's a common issue. Yeah.
2: Now, it's said that uh, there's a... really uh, technical reference that's mentioned there, Target 17 which refers to a interest to Atlanta people having equal levels of digital inclusion by 2026. Can you tell us about uh, how this uh, researcher is looking at this Target 17?
3: Closing the Gap Target 17 was introduced um, with the new Closing the Gap framework in 2020. It came about from advocacy that was done through First Nations Media Australia and through representation within closing, um, the Coalition of Peaks. So it's great to have a target for digital inclusion because that supports people not only to be connected and, and accessing services, but also it improves like health and education and employment and other closing the gap targets. So it's really critical. Previously, there wasn't any data to be able to measure the level of digital inclusion particularly for people living in remote communities. And so there needed to be a proper um, project like this to work uh, in communities face-to-face doing these surveys and obviously doing that side-by-side with local organisations to make sure that um, we got that trust and engagement. So this project is for, um, giving for the first time the ability to track the level of digital inclusion. And what we've found is that across Australia, there's a gap of 7.5 out of 100 between First Nations people and other Australians. As you get further remote, that gap increases significantly to 24 in remote Australia and 25 in very remote Australia. So that gap widens significantly because of the challenges of the infrastructure, of the affordability, of the um, of the level of that, um, access that people have, and and the skills and tools that they need to be able to connect. So that's the gap that we really need to be closing.
2: And that's part of uh, my conversation with uh, RMIT's Dr. Daniel Featherstone about his uh, report, Mapping the Digital Gap 2023 Outcomes Report. The full conversation is published on our website, sbs.com.au slash nitvradio. Now, time for a break, but stay with us, because when we come back, we'll hear how half of the Australian population is anxious or worried about getting consistent access to adequate food.
3: NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook.
2: Now, a new report has found almost half of Australia's population feels anxious about going hungry, with the cost of food and groceries the chief contributor to food insecurity. This year's Food Bank Hunger Report finds 48% of the general population is anxious or worried about getting consistent access to adequate food. The report says 3.7 million households experienced food insecurity in the last 12 months, which is a 3% increase on last year. Greg Diet reports.
4: Australia's cost of living pressures are many and varied, and this year's Food Bank Australia Hunger Report has found the cost of food and groceries is the number one cause of food insecurity and almost half the population is concerned about going hungry. The report reveals 48% of the general population is anxious or worried about getting consistent access to adequate food. Food insecurity is broadly defined as when a person lacks regular access to enough safe and nutritious food for normal growth and development and an active and healthy life. 47-year-old Karen says she knows exactly what that's like. Karen is on a disability pension and is a single parent with a daughter to feed. She says she and her child have to make many sacrifices to survive including not being able to afford out-of-school sporting activities, such as swimming. Karen says she has to prioritise each and every fortnight to pay her bills.
5: We don't get, like, sweets. We get basically, you know, bread, milk, um, the things for, you know, meals that you have, like at lunch and dinner and that, Um, rarely snacks and things and that anymore. Um we really go out for junk food. We go once a fortnight if we're lucky and that's only after everything else has been paid. Um and and then in saying that as well, then there's bills and things that don't get paid, they have to get put off to the next fortnight.
4: Food Bank Australia says three point seven million households experienced food insecurity in the last twelve months, which is a three percent increase on last year. Chief Executive Brianna Casey says the cost of living crisis is now so severe that having a job no longer provides a guarantee against going hungry.
1: We know that we are seeing people who are younger. We know we are seeing people who are employed. A job is no longer a defence or a shield against food insecurity and it's presenting food bank with some really big challenges in terms of meeting the demand for food relief, but also having to change the way that we can reach community, given that we are now dealing with so many young professionals.
4: As Karen sees it, it's now only the wealthy, what she calls the one percenters, that are not feeling the pressure of higher prices.
5: You hear about it, you know, on the news and that, people with six-figure incomes can't Afford you know food because they're paying off really high mortgages and and then if you've got kids all the things with them it just it just becomes a never ending cycle of like poverty for everyone except for the one percenters.
4: The Food Bank Australia Hunger Report reveals fifty six percent of the population report that the cost of living crisis is by far their most important concern, but for those enduring food insecurity, the cost of food and shelter is now overwhelming them. of food insecure households reported the rising cost of living as the biggest reason for their hardship. That's up from 64% in 2022. Karen says the food bank in her area is a great source of support.
5: I go chat you know, with the people at Food Bank, or with you know the counsellors that they have on offer down here, and Food Food Bank has been invaluable to us. Like we, I don't know how we would have coped if we hadn't have had them, um, and you know had the resources that they have on offer um, available to us.
4: Greg Diet, SBS News, NITV Radio. Share our stories on
2: Facebook. Also another short story from SBS News with a commonly used treatment to control outbreaks of mange in dogs is now being used in Australia's wombat population. Sarcoptic mange disease, commonly known as scabies, is a parasitic disease caused by microscopic mites which burrow under the skin. It is believed to be present in 90% of wombat populations. The Wombat Protection Society of Australia says it's trialling a treatment using the chemical moxidectin, commonly used to kill mites on dogs, which it has found can control mange, although it doesn't cure the disease. The society's director, Mary Weiner, says wombats close proximity to each other can contribute to high rates of transmission, which has been worsened by recent extreme weather events.
0: Often they are forced to get closer together due to... um Habitat destruction and smaller lots being uh, broken up. So they've just got smaller areas to live on and becoming more concentrated. And also, of course, climate change, all these floods and fires, they have to move to different area and they have to congregate like, closer together. So that's a big thing of the reason why it can spread so rapidly across the whole population.
2: We must now go to a break. And when we come back, we explore... Black, like coloured, actually, people of colour in classic music in Australia, the, over-represent, the underrepresentation, and how these can be addressed. Stay tuned.
4: Join the conversation on radio, online, and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
2: Man, Aaron Wyatt, is a viola player, composer and conductor and the first Indigenous Australian to conduct one of the major orchestras in Australia, conducting the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. Now Aaron is joining us on NITV Radio ahead of a classical music night, three conversations dedicated to classical music as a person of colour in Australia. Aaron Wyatt, welcome and thanks for joining us on NITV Radio. Thanks, it's good to be here. Now, this classical music event stems from an initiative by uh, Kyla Matsura-Mila in a program of uh, new commissions for violin and electronics by Australian composers, yourself, Kitty Shaw, and uh, Sia Ahmad. And it stems from an observation by Kaila Matsura-Mila that... Uh, there aren't many musicians uh, who look like her playing uh, classic uh, music and hence uh, this initiative. Uh, how does it feel being uh, invited uh, to participate in this groundbreaking event? I call it brand- groundbreaking because these conversations rarely take place in Australia.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great to be involved. In it. And it's, it's good to be writing a piece alongside some other very um, established and up-and-coming composers uh, who have written some, some great works uh, in this sort of space. You know, it's great to see someone like, uh, you know, Carla McTerry-Miller um, taking on this sort of project with her, I mean, it's part of her Freedom Fellowship uh, Award. It's the sort of project that that helps to to broaden the diversity of voices that we have in classical music in this country and to, to give, a I guess, a better representation of uh, what is an Australian story in music.
2: Yeah, and uh, this uh, the three conversations is just a performance and then it will be followed by uh, conversations between yourself, the other composers and performers with uh, Kyla Matura-Miller reflecting on what it means. Uh, what does it mean to you being uh, a Nunga man, a black man, uh, playing classic music? Because uh, there's not many.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really sort of, I guess, interesting viewpoint to, to be coming from, uh, you know, especially... <laughs> it's not been sort of helped, I guess, by recent political events uh, and the like. It's sort of this this issue of, um, this is, you know, the, the pieces were all meant to explore what it was like to, to grow up um, as a person of colour in this country. And, of course, the, the three composers, all, all three of us have quite different backgrounds. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it definitely opens up some interesting conversations, um, especially as in light of recent politics. I mean, my, my piece itself, um, the whole work is, is based on um, this documentary from 1984 called Couldn't Be Fairer that was on the National Film and Screen Archives page. Um, And so there's an audio track that that sits at the base of the the violin and viola part, and it's made from a lot of stretched-out and manipulated sounds um, and also some very direct quotes from an interview with Lang Hancock talking about the Aboriginal problem uh, and a solution to it and uh, hence the title of the work, um, The Aboriginal Problem. So it deals with... Um, and I'm, I'm not sure what the other uh, two composers have decided to talk about yet in their works. It'll be interesting to see, I guess, the mix of perspectives that, that they bring to things. Um, but I guess mine sort of stemmed out of... Um, well, it was kind of fortunate timing-wise that, that Gina Reinhardt was named uh, West Australian of the Year earlier this year and, uh, you know, it kind of sort of sprang from... from Memories that I had of, of um, you know some of the ways that, that sporting greats were, were treated in the past, um, Indigenous sporting greats, um, and this seemed like a, a perfect tie-in to that with the whole netball uh, fiasco that had just
2: happened at the time as well. And just to put it in perspective for some of our younger listeners who may not. Uh be aware of uh, the proper Israeli context, or the Hancock view of how to solve what he calls the original problem uh, is quite geno- is a, a genocidal approach.
0: Yeah, but ba- basically it was, was not great. Um, just, you know, doping the water supply up to sort of uh, make the half-caste sterile, which, uh, yeah, not, not the sort of thing that you would expect to hear in, you know, 19, sort of 70s, 1980s Australia, really.
2: And how does it feel to be playing uh, in the kind of context uh, right after a referendum where we've uh, experienced a resounding no to actually a very simple question, a very simple and uh, straightforward request from First Nations people.
0: It is disheartening. Um, you know, it's this funny of the night that the, the referendum I was playing with the MSO, uh just the back of the Viola section, uh, for Deborah Chidden frayons piece, Umorella, uh, War Requiem for Peace, which sort of uh, it's, it's a requiem mass that, that tells the tale of um, the frontier wars, uh, the Umala wars um, that were faced by the Gudnishmara the people. Uh, so a very, very poignant work and kind of, you know, the timing was purely a coincidence because the MSO obviously had the date locked in well before the referendum date was set. But it, uh, it was, yeah, an interesting, interesting place to be on the night of the referendum. Um, I definitely couldn't have hoped to have been anywhere better um, very you know very supportive arts community here in Melbourne which is great um, but yeah I mean I think it's the most disheartening thing has been just the sheer level of misinformation that, that went on uh, in the lead up to the referendum and just some of the, the crazy and wild conspiracy theories that, that you know we saw out there that, that really you know when when the bill uh, statement from the part was was first uh, brought out and the suggestion uh, of the voice was was first talked about by Albo on election night. There was a lot of support for it, and just watching that support tank over you know a series of months as there's been so much misinformation out there has been really, really disheartening. It's, it's a very you know sad indictment on the state of our political discourse in this country.
2: Yeah, and you said uh, your piece is inspired by uh, some uh, audio stemming from the National Film and Sound Archive, and that believe uh, what you'll be performing and the recording of uh, the night is a material that will feature in the NFSA, I believe, as well, because this is just a groundbreaking uh, conversation. Uh, am I right to suggest that?
0: Possibly. I'm not entirely sure, but um, but it is it is a very um, exciting project. And, and as I say, I'm really, really thrilled that um, Kyla asked me to be involved in it.
2: This event will take place on uh, Friday, the twenty seventh of October, at uh, the I think it's at the the Abbotsford at, Convent. From at the, the Abbotsford uh, Convent, which is uh, quite an unusual place uh, from uh, the places where you normally perform.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's you know part of the because it's part of this play on series, and they're an organisation. Um, you know, I think one of their main um, goals is to really bring classical music to unconventional spaces so that it's not just in the concert hall uh it sort of gets out and about into community um and it just becomes more accessible to the general public so i think that that's part of the reason for the the slightly unusual
2: choice of venue yeah now before i let you go any closing thoughts or something you would like to bring to the attention of our listeners uh, that we may not have covered in our conversation today
0: we've pretty much covered it all but um you know, I guess just to reiterate, it's a really, really exciting project. I'm really thankful that Kyle asked me to be involved. And uh, it should be a, should be a, I don't know, fun is the right word for the night, given some of the, the at least dark topic uh, subject material in my piece. Hopefully the other two pieces will be a little bit lighter. Um, but it should be a, a, a very interesting and enjoyable night.
2: Aaron White, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today about the upcoming uh, performance, classic music performance, Three Conversations, uh, this Friday, October 27. Awesome,
3: thanks for having me. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook.
2: And that's all from NITV Radio today. NITV Radio will be back on Wednesday and Friday with more stories from right across the country. I'm Petran Tungendame, thanking you for your company today. Till next time, bye for now. Leaving you with Mitch Tambo in absolutely everybody.